0: How's everybody doing out there? Hopefully, good. Hopefully, you had a good Father's Day and spent time with your kids or spent time with your dad. Really excited about this episode. So, we talked to a a hunting historian of sorts, if you will. So, George Seifert is a collector of waterfowl history, if you will. And with that comes a lot of knowledge of waterfowl history. So, George actually runs an Instagram page where he shares some of his calls, some of his things that he's collected over time, and a little bit of history about some of those pieces. And so it's a really interesting conversation. We talk about how to get started collecting, if you're interested in collecting, where to find collectible items, how to tell if something's actually old or just made to look old, and we talk about a what's called a tongue pincher style of, of duck call, which is is I had never heard of, but it's a style of duck call from the late 1800s. So they had duck calls even way back then, which I found fascinating, and just all kinds of different stuff. So like I said, George does a lot of waterfowl stuff. He also collects um, old ammo boxes and and ammunition and things like that. So. He's just a wealth of knowledge. I encourage everybody to check out his Instagram page. Like I said, he's got a lot of cool history on there. There'll be a link in the show notes to his Instagram account. That's the easiest way to get there. And uh, I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. But first, I want to talk about Monster Whitetail Grub. So as you guys know, Monster Whitetail Grub sponsors the Ohio Huntsman Podcast, which helps us continue to bring you guys Episodes every week. So, we really appreciate them being a sponsor and uh, coming along on this journey with us. So, if you're looking to get pictures of your bucks and watch antler growth, now is a good time to be getting mineral out. And it's a great way to get pictures. So, Monster Whitetail Grub sells mineral, they sell a high protein flavored feed, like a long range attractant feed, and they also sell flavored corn. So, if any of that sounds interesting to you and you want to support them, check them out. They, I'll put a link to their, their Facebook page in the show notes. It's the easiest way to get a hold of them and uh, try out some of their stuff. So, let's get into the episode. Oh, and one more thing. Let us know what you think about our new intro. You're about to hear it. We like It kind of gets us amped up before the episode. So, let us know what you think starting now. Welcome to the Ohio Huntsman Podcast, where three brothers, Jason, Jacob, and Jeff, discuss all things hunting in Ohio. Our goal is to be your source for accurate and reliable hunting news and conservation issues in the great state of Ohio, as well as some fun and interesting conversations along the way. This is the Ohio Huntsman Podcast. Are you listening? all right we've got george Seifert from waterfowl history so waterfowl history and george jump in where where i mess up on this but waterfowl history is an instagram account where you basically share some of your collection hunting collectibles if you will and a little bit of history on those items is that correct
1: uh correct i've uh, been collecting for a while and uh just got on Instagram through my kids and started, you know, searching through and saw people posting different stuff. And I thought, well, kind of a neat way to uh, share the history of waterfowling to the younger generation and uh, try to preserve some of the history that's out there that gets overlooked quite a bit.
0: Yeah. So I would encourage people as you're listening to this, go over to George's Instagram page. And like I said, it's Waterfowl History. And look at some of his collection while we're while we're talking about this, because, you know, I've browsed through it and there's a lot of neat stuff in there. And I really like some of the like you said, some of the history elements that you share with that. And it's it's cool to see some of that stuff and be and it and it being preserved, I guess, in a format like Instagram and and being able to share that stuff. Cause a lot of us, you know, like our grandparents or something, they they have some cool old stuff and there's a story with it and you get that, that one piece, right. But with it the power of the internet, off. you know, it's, it's, uh, you can get exposed to a lot more. So that's, I really like that.
1: Yeah. It always starts off with one piece usually, and then it starts <laughs> built from there. <laughs> sure. Mine started with my, uh, grandfather's hunting licenses. Okay. Uh, starting back from like the early teens and then, um, saw they had some duck stamps on it and then no, I'm I'm probably quite a bit older than you guys, but back in the early seventies when we used to go to flea markets as kids, I found an old duck call and that led to another duck call and then led to old shotgun shell boxes. And I just kind of started over the years just accumulating, you know, items from estate sales, garage sales, antique malls, sure, friends and, and stuff like that.
0: Okay. So so you touched on it a little bit, but why don't you tell us what type of items that you collect? Is it, is it deduct calls in the shotgun shell boxes and, and that kind of stuff, or, or sort of what's the breadth of your, of your collection?
1: Well, I, I have quite a bit of calls and, um, they vary from modern makers. Some that I found on Instagram, uh, that make some beautiful calls. Uh, I've gotten some from there and all the way back to the Early uh, eighteen hundred or late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds, like the Elam Fishers and Purdues, and some of the early guys that okay. made calls. And then, um, as a kid, I started collecting a lot of stamps, and that just kind of evolved into just collecting uh, federal duck stamps, state duck stamps, uh, as well, and then. Um, when you collect, you end up kind of going on these offshoots usually. And uh, I start collecting old paperwork from Winchester, Remington, the old sales brochures that I post up every once in a while.
0: Okay, yeah.
1: And um, those are from like the 20s, and you know, which is kind of interesting that some of the terminology and um, uh, sales pitch items that they used back then is still pretty relevant today. <laughs> So, wow, yeah, it just recycles itself.
0: Yeah. And I, it's it's always interesting to read some of that old literature. And, you know, some of the stuff is the same. But but some of the stuff you read, like I've got an old um, it's an old booklet that I guess my great grandfather put together with some some wine recipes And he talks about using an asbestos heating pad or something in there, you know, and it was like, oh, boy, you know, today asbestos is like, oh, my gosh, you know, no asbestos. But back then it was uh, commonplace, you know, so that's always interesting to read that kind of stuff.
1: Well, the the especially interesting stuff, if you can ever come across uh, some old diaries or letters that old duck hunters have wrote to friends or kept for hunting clubs is, you know, the the wooden decoy spreads the the calls they use the weather conditions and and it seems like their success rate even though ducks were probably more plentiful back there for a while or were, were probably equal to ours uh-huh. you know um they weren't always limiting out unless you're like a market gunner type of hunter but right yeah they seem to from some of the literature and letters i have pace about what we do you know if you scratch out three or four ducks sometimes you consider that a great hunt sure and uh that seems to be pretty prevalent through then then like in the 60s you know that duck hunting was pretty tough they went on that point system and um so if you shot like a canvas back that was a 100 points and you were done for the day with one duck oh wow it's kind of neat to go back and look this through the regulations to see how they, you know, did the totals. So, yeah. Uh, and, uh, the point system was, was interesting because you have, have mallards so many points and wood duck with so many points. And so you had to get to, um, uh, let's say a hundred points. And so you could shoot like three mallards and a wood duck, or like I said, a canvas back was already a hundred points and you're done for the day. So it was kind of interesting there for a little while. You had to use good math and good identification so you didn't overshoot.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, boy, I could sure see how that would lead to some confusion and mistakes and things like that. Okay, so you talked about, you know, you had uh, something from your grandfather that was sort of your first thing. But where does your, I guess, your passion for collecting, like, where does that come from? Is that something that you guys do as a family or or just... Something that you picked up or?
1: Uh, well, my dad collected antiques and insulators uh, when I was growing up. And we, like I said, the flea markets back in the 70s were pretty big. Th- you know, at the drive ins were pretty big deals. And you'd go there, there'd be 75, 80 people, you know, set up at a flea market. Okay. And that's usually them, instead of having a garage, they would just go there at the drive ins. And um, so I started finding some calls. Not really knowing what I was doing back then, you know, I was like sixteen, seventeen years old. Find a call, ah, that's cool, throw it in the collection, find another call, you know, that that's neat. Or yeah, come across an old decoy or, or whatever. And then probably right out of college, uh when you you know, get a job and you have more fun, so to speak, the uh the collecting turned up a little bit more. <laughs> okay. So um, uh, The the nice thing about this collecting the outdoor collectibles, there's there's a couple club, clubs you can join with guys that have knowledge in different fields. So uh, a couple guys helped me with vintage, a couple guys helped me with uh, new modern makers, and um, it's always good to find somebody to mentor off of to uh, to ask a question. Yeah, I'm not saying that. I'm always right or they're always right, but at least you have an idea of w- which way to go with your collection or, or who to focus in on, who's hot, who's not, um, and stuff like that.
0: Okay. So when you say when, when you say focus in on your collection, who's hot, who's not, what do you mean by that? Like what's what's valuable? Is that what you referring yeah, to? or so-
1: so the weird thing in collecting, it's almost like collecting artwork sometimes. Um, certain makers can that have passed on can bring premium pricing. And I'm talking, you know, uh, $300, $400 calls up to $5,000, $10,000 wow. um, in pricing. And an equivalent maker, for some reason, of that same time period could bring 25 bucks and it's all on the name and record you know the uh region he was making in and um i can't really explain why some are more collectible than 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 others um just off the top of my head one of the, the modern guys that passed away was um uh, taylor uh out of uh, arkansas and you know his calls are bringing four or five hundred dollars all day long, and you could buy them back. Well, a few years ago, when he's still alive, for you know eighty to a hundred dollars. Oh wow! And you know, and then other guys that are that same area, you know, their calls song for fifty, sixty dollars.
0: Yeah, that's something that I've always kind of been intrigued or interested by with collectibles or antiques or things like that—is knowing what's valuable what's not right because it's only worth that if somebody's willing to give you that much you know it can say in a book or some kind of collecting website or something that it's worth $1000 but it's not really worth that unless somebody's willing to pay you that much for it right and so it's interesting to see how things kind of come into and out of fashion if you will so and what you know what sort of drives that i guess it's just people's uh desires and and whims maybe i don't know
1: Back uh, a few years ago when the uh, recession kind of hit with the housing market and everything dropped out, so did the pricing on collectibles. Oh, Okay. So if you were in a position that you had a good job or still had some liquid funds, that was a prime time to pick up some great pieces for relatively cheap.
0: All right. Okay.
1: Now the economy is going good. People are flush with cash, so to speak, and um, prices are up, you know. Interesting. Uh, Yeah. eBay has a lot to do with that as well. Um, It's killed the market a little bit. I'm not going to lie. You go to a a show uh, like the decoy show in Westlake or Strongsville, and there might be three guys that have a uh, Purdue carved call. And those used to probably bring eight or nine thousand dollars, you know, pretty good. Mm-hmm. And then eBay came along, and, and now they're three to six. Um, oh, okay. You know, some more produced common calls like the crow call you see on there all the time. You know, they used to get three hundred dollars for those. You search on eBay, there's twenty of them. And you can pick them up for a hundred dollars. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, so sometimes eBay has hurt the market, and other times it's good if it's super rare. And there's a lot of collectors on it, you're going to drive the price up, you know, like with any auction. But usually I find it works the opposite way.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah, I've I've noticed kind of in, in a similar effect, I guess, in like yard sales and things like that. Like everybody thinks, you know, because they can search online and say, oh, well, they're selling online for you know, $35. Whereas it used to be like at a yard, you know, eh, I give you five bucks for it sort of thing, you know, just knickknack stuff, you know, not necessarily like high value collectibles, but you know, you go to a yard sale and like, Oh, that, you know, that's a cool item, you know, I'll pick that up. But everybody now has, like you said, eBay or, or, or something on their phone where they can search and so while well, they're selling online for, you know, $50. And so it's, it's definitely, I can definitely see how that's, affected those type of um, I guess markets for for lack of a better word
1: it, it has and some of my better buys believe it or not have come out of the antique malls yeah okay. I know some of the other collectors uh, that I deal with have found some really good calls at great prices because I don't know if you know they might have a whole cabinet of uh, China or whatever they're selling and then they have this duck call or duck decoy or hunting license they don't take the time to look it up and they'll put like 75 dollars on it right okay you know and it's uh i know one of my good friends uh that's in the call collecting he sent me a picture of a call he found in toledo and it was a 1600 call that he paid 100 dollars for it
0: wow wow that's I bet that was a good day for him.
1: <laughs> yeah, and he rubbed it in too, trust me.
0: No, I'm sure, yeah. Yeah. So, I guess that leads us into growing your collection. So so you mentioned um, flea markets, things like that. Where are if somebody's looking to get into collecting, whether it's hunting collectibles or or other collectibles, where is a good place or where are good places for them to start or if somebody's looking for some tips on, on where to grow their collection, they're already collecting, where would you sort of steer people? I
1: guess. So there's, there's the, uh, call collector, uh, club that, um, that you could look up on the website. That's good. You can join that for like $35. Uh, that helps with calls. Okay. There's, um, the Ohio decoy collectors association. That's a good thing to to collect. And other guys usually branch out in other areas. So if you're, if you're going to start collecting or want, I would try to visit a couple of the main shows. Um, There's two in Northeast, Northeast Ohio in March um, that are good to go to. And then um, there's a big, hunting collectible show in st charles illinois in april Uh, that thing is huge and if you ever get a chance to go i would say go there because there's everything from punt guns to shotgun shell boxes to decoys that cost a hundred thousand dollars wow it's it's really impressive and then just reach out to guys you know and you you know i'm not saying everybody's going to help you but you can usually get a feel on guys and sincere that want to help you Sure. And you know, I, I probably asked half dozen guy ended up with two or three guys that are willing to, you know, to help me out. They still lean on today. Yeah. And, uh, it's also a good resource. You know, um, there's some pieces I found. I'm like, man, this has got to be you know a $4,000 call. And it turns out to be a reproduction, you know? Oh, okay. Um, so you send them pictures and and they'll, they'll say, ah, something's not right. the, The lettering or something like that. And, uh, because unfortunately, now in our business, uh, counterfeiting is becoming a, a problem. It was, okay. It's hard to believe, but it actually is. Hmm. Uh, so, all the way from the stamped envelopes that had like the Winchester uh, advertising on it, some of those are being counterfeited. A couple of the old call makers are being counterfeited because they can get on those CNC lays and really age them and and cut them down pretty good so yeah you know it depends on who you're buying from and sometimes if the price is too right you know too good to be true it is but you know reach out to guys you know look on instagram i've I've reached out to a bunch of guys on instagram you know we've traded back and forth information they sent me pictures you know and i've helped them on calls and decoys if i can't figure out the decoy i'll send them to another guy um as well and uh it helps you know and then i my second advice is focus in on what you're going to collect you know unfortunately for me i've kind of branched out in like uh 30 different areas (laughs) of collecting and, and i've peeled off a lot of that collection you know i've sold off a lot of it and trying to focus on stuff that i really like sure (laughs) and um but it's you got to start somewhere
0: so you touched on something there that that i was actually wanting to ask you about and you know with the counterfeiting and do you have any tips or advice on how to tell if something's actually (laughs) old because you know anymore even people that aren't trying to counterfeit per se but like selling stuff in the store that's made to look old and distressed and things like that stuff at first glance can look pretty legit if you will do you have any tips on how to tell if something's actually old versus made to look old
1: yeah and sometimes that's very tough um the decoy show the ohio decoy collectors and carvers association they have a category called it isn't vintage yet and these guys <laughs> i make like these, that title <laughs> yeah and these guys and that's the purpose of that category is to make decoys that resemble another maker's decoy and they get it down to the part where they have like um you know, rub marks on the top of the decoy heads from, you know, where guys used to throw them in the bags or in the boat or on the tail section or on the, the breast of the bird. They get that detailed with it. Wow. But most of the time, wear is, is one of the key indicators. So if it looks vintage and there's no wear on it, and it's not like brand new sitting in a box or new old stock, that's kind of a... a a uh, clue for me okay and then on some of the the envelopes and stamps uh, it takes a magnifying glass to look because the printing is different so anything modern has that round circle printing on it oh okay and versus the old old printing style which are kind of solid lines and you can tell by the ink and and uh so t- so Sometimes you got to have like a magnifying glass with you as well, but it it's fooled a lot of collectors. There's, there's a back card. I believe was what the call was that was floating out there for a while. And the, the counterfeit was so good that it fooled a lot of the top collectors. Wow. And then that leaked out by someone running their mouth in a bar at a show. And that's how that was discovered. They were counterfeit. Oh, wow. So, um, you know, uh, if you got a shot and it's not going to kill your pocketbook, when I say take the chance, if it's a couple thousand dollars, I'd get it looked at by a couple good collectors. Okay. Before you pull the trigger, you know.
0: Sure. So have you ever bought anything that you later found out was fake or, or counterfeit?
1: I have bought an uh an old call, but it's unclear of it's I shopped it to a couple guys and it's still unclear on who made it. Uh it's actually like fifty fifty um split on who made it. And as a guy out of Tennessee, his last name's Weeks, and he's no longer with us. And um his calls are really desirable and so i had that one out there and then i had an early glenn scoby call and it was a it has artwork on it where he burned in the ducks all all glenn scoby's calls had painted ducks on it and his earlier ones had um burned in ducks they're very very you know rudely done and um so this was i picked it up at a show the lady was selling the collection of her husband that passed away, so she didn't really know about it. But she told me it was a practice barrel of Scoby, So he had practice etching on this barrel, and there's quite a few ducks on it. And I have had that looked by guys that work for Scobie, uh, guys that collect Scoby, and I still don't have a definite answer on whether it's his or not. It, it looks like it. Yeah, but nobody can tell me 100% if it is, you know, so it's huh. a good conversation piece on the collection.
0: Yeah, yeah. for sure. So you mentioned um, you sold some of your collection and and I know for a lot of collectors, it can be hard to sell stuff after they've acquired it. So how do you decide when you're ready to sell something, when you want to sell something? What are your thoughts on that?
1: So, um, there's a couple schools of thoughts on that. One, one guy told me, um, never fall in love with an item that doesn't love you back. <laughs> so I like uh, that, which is, which is good advice. Yeah. Yeah. The, the second advice came from my wife. who told me, he said, Hey, listen, you, you got to step up your game here. Um, you know, get rid of the, the stuff and start buying higher quality calls. So, you know, take the next step into the, the higher price range that I wasn't real comfortable at. Okay. So uh, that's what I did. I started peeling off uh, the collection that didn't really mean to me as much anymore. And, uh, and then I started taking those dollars and buying some real high-quality pieces. Okay. And, and we are talking, you know, up to $1,000 for a call. Wow. OK. And uh, so that's for me, that's that's kind of hard for me to do sometimes, you know. Yeah, I'm sure. I've always but, considered myself a junkyard collector. So. Right. <laughs>
0: <coughs> OK, so I I saw a call on your on your Instagram page that intrigued me. And so I'm hoping you can because I've never seen one like this, but you called it a tongue pincher call. Yeah. Can you tell us about those? Do they actually pinch your tongue if you don't use them right? Or is that just a a pseudonym for them?
1: Yeah. So those are the early duck calls that were made for waterfowl hunting. Okay. And that was, those were made by a guy named, uh, Elam Fisher. And, um, he, the word tongue pincher came because there's two boards cut out and then the reed is just laid in the middle of it. And then there's a, the bell. So it's pinching the reed together. Okay. Somehow they, they got tongue pincher out of that. And so those are actually from the late 1800s up to the early 1900s. Wow. Before they started branching off on the, the barrels of the calls and guys started making, you know, different style of tone boards, uh, as well. And, uh, that was like the go-to call back in the late 1800s and they' huh. they're made a lot of them are made from rosewood some were made from uh, cow horn uh, as well and they're always usually have a chrome band around the middle to hold together capped off with a uh, like a chrome horn on the end of it okay they don't sound the best but <laughs> <laughs> Back then, I think they, I mean, you couldn't do a highball on them or anything like that, but okay. um, I i think they did the purpose back then, you know, a, yeah, few, facts, yeah. a few chuckles and and call it good. Sure. But, yeah, those, uh, see, there's another example of a call that, you know, they would bring $125, $175 at the shows, and you can pick them up on eBay now, you know, anywhere from 25 to $75. Oh wow! It just really drove the pricing down. Yeah, they're a cool item to throw up on the on the shelf for uh, conversation pieces as well.
0: Sure. So, tell us about. I'm I'm sure you've got all different kinds of collecting stories. So I, w- I was hoping to hear. Tell us about an unexpected find where maybe you weren't going out looking for something, but you know I don't know maybe you're at somebody's house or something unexpected in your. Collecting history.
1: So, um, I'll tell you, everyone has a story that that gets away. Uh, I'll share one with you that uh, a guy that I know runs a local shop here, and he called me up and said, "Hey, I got a couple decoys in. They came from the East Coast." I'm like, "All right, I'll I'll take a look at them." And uh, so I went in, looked at them at his uh, coin shop there and he says you know take them home let me you know see what you think who made them and let me know what what you know you think they are so i honestly looked through books and books and books and i i couldn't figure it out but in the meantime i had five kids that were all under age of you know 10 sure and you know so i'm like you know how much money uh do you want for these i think there was three decoys and the guy's like you know it's about 600 bucks I'm like man I, I can't swing it right now you know yeah with all the kids at triplet girls and two little ones so i'm like yeah but you know i'll help i'll help you sell them and he's like all right so i took him up to the decoy show and the first decoy i sold i sold it for twelve thousand dollars
0: holy smokes
1: yeah and then <laughs> the, the second one I sold for $8,000. Wow. Um, and then the, the other one I sold for close to four grand. And so the, the kicker of it was I called my wife. And I was like, hey, you have to come up to Strongsville because those guys paid me all in cash. So oh, I had, wow. Twenty some thousand dollars. I'm just giving her in, in, in a duffel bag, I'm like take it home and. <laughs> And, and, and all that yeah yeah so, so that, that that's the story that got away. Um, and probably one of my most unexpected finds was um, a call I picked up early in my career It was made by Har- Howard Harlan who is a, um, the, the godfather of call collecting. He's written you know a lot of the books and has a huge huge collection. It was a call made by him and, um, I was at a tackle show, uh, a swap meet for fishing tackle. It wasn't, you know, just kind of like a small flea market and the guy's like, uh, $100 for it. And in the box was the, the invoice for $125. I'm like, uh, I didn't really know too much about Howard. Right. So I bought it and, um, stuck it in the safe. I don't know why I put it in my safe. I just thought it was kind of a unique call. And then about seven, eight years ago, I was talking to one of the collectors out of the call collecting club, and he says, hey, I'm looking for a Howard Harlan uh, micarta call. I'm like, Micarta, I've never even heard of that. And you know, what is it? It's made by Westinghouse. It was used in like a Formica, and it ages like ivory. So it, it, it yellows with age. Okay, and um, I say hey, I, I I think I got one of those in my my collection. He's like, ah, uh, there's no way. He only made 25 of them, and um, I sent him a picture, and and it was it. It was one of the 25 he made. Wow. And uh, a guy offered me about fourteen hundred dollars for it. Wow. And uh, it's still in my collection. <laughs> so, <laughs> so. yeah. I'm like ah, uh, you know, it's it's one of twenty five and the box and the letter, so that that one kind of holds a special place there.
0: Yeah, I'm sure.
1: Then, uh, another quick story on a unique piece was um, yeah, I was uh, worked for a fire department for many years before I retired, and I was talking with uh, the guy who was shooting fireworks, and he's a big antique dealer, and he said, "Hey, I bought this whole collection of." Stamp envelopes from World War II of the battleships. You mind come over and take a look at it. i'm Like, yeah, I'll come over and take a look because I collected stamps and uh, in there was the original artwork uh, for Did Shot Powder Company. Oh, wow! And um, I'm like, what do you want for it? And he's like, what's it worth? And I, I told him, I say, I honestly do not know what it's worth, and uh, so he's like, 200 bucks. I'm like, done. And, um, so that's another piece that's kind of dear to my heart. I don't know what it's actually worth, but it's original mock-up of the, uh, of the advertising with the duck being shot and falling out of the sky and it has, it's all hand-painted dead shot. And on the back of it, it's all the proof by the artist and then stamped by the supervisor and, you know, by, it has all the initials on it that it was going to oh, be wow. used for production. So that was kind of an un- unexpected find too. Yeah. So wow i I tell everybody that collects you know be open-minded you know if you come across something that's not in your wheelhouse but it looks like a good deal and it's unique you gotta grab it yeah you know
0: yeah that's that's good advice yeah so jeff did you have a question yeah yeah uh you talked about collecting old ammo boxes as well um what are the values on some of those?
1: All right, so all the ammo boxes go all over the place. Um, there's Robin Hood ammunition that was made out of Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, a 22 box full um, would go for about four or five hundred dollars. You wow. have you have older boxes, uh, Austin Powder, Climax. Um, there's other brands that can bring up to four or five thousand dollars for a box. Um, wow! So the older two-piece hundred-count boxes bring really good good money. That's like the uh, club shelves. We're talking early early twenties. Um, and some of the earlier two pieces shotgun shell boxes uh, bring three, four, or five hundred dollars a box more if they're full. Uh, and then some of the, the mid fifties and sixties Winchester boxes, um, depending on the caliber and the graphic on them, uh, they bring decent money, you know, a hundred dollars, $300, $400 a a box. Hmm. Um, so they, they go all over in in price range. My biggest grape on Instagram, when I post the the boxes is that's uh, today's manufacturers don't embrace the artwork like there was back on those old boxes. Yeah. The the artwork was spectacular, you know, but, um, it, it depends on condition and caliber and, and who made it. But, um, that is probably some of my better buys are the old ammunition boxes. And, um, you go to the garage sale, there's a bunch of old ammo there and you're like, yeah 10 bucks for, you know, the whole box. And then, and there's some pretty good stuff. Um, Savage ammunition that also made Savage arms. You know, it's a red box with the Indian chief on it. They bring anywhere from 50 to four or $500 depending on the condition and caliber. Wow. So, um, yeah. it's, it's interesting, um a good place to look is uh, a wards collectibles. It's an auction site and um, you can click on there. They got shotgun shell boxes and uh, uh, rifle boxes and 22 boxes. And I, I purchased some stuff off of there, but I study those auction pages and kind of c- put in my memory bank, what the higher price boxes bring. So when you, you come across them, you, you know, okay. And, and you know, I research a lot of that stuff that way as well. So yeah, I save a lot of stuff on eBay, like a lot of calls. I'll just hit the watch button to see where they're landing at price wise. Okay. okay. And that way you you build like a memory bank in your in your mind when you're out going somewhere. You, you know, instantly, like oh that's a three hundred dollar box. They got you know ten bucks on. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And one of the things that I always find better is that if you can do that, then instead of getting on your phone, then trying to look up the value in, in front of somebody. Cause a lot of people do that. They'll get on eBay or whatever, and they'll start researching to see what the price is. That's probably going to drive your price up. You know, you guys right, yeah. you get something. So if you know, you know, close to what it's worth and you know, Hey, you know, I, you know grind sale and you see it there are 10 bucks you know hey i'll give you 10 bucks okay and you walk away with a 50 or 100 dollar box
0: right gotta be nonchalant about it
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can usually tell the collectors because uh it's, that that stuff goes quick you know yeah i'm sure Yeah, you know, old uh old shotgun shell crates those those bring pretty good money now up in our neck of the woods there's that austin powder company and um if you can find a crate from them uh that's a four or five hundred dollar crate wow and so i was at a tag sale i don't know four or five years ago and me another guy walked into the the garage and there was an Austin powder company in Remington. I got my hand on the Austin powder first and he got his hand on the Remington. He looked at me and he goes, that's a good buy. (laughs) I I know 20 bucks later. I'm walking out with it. So Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: that's cool. All right. So, uh, I guess one last question. Do you have a, a most favorite or most prized item in your collection?
1: Um, it's, Probably not a real high collectible item, but, um, my grandfather signed my first hunting license to me when I bought it back in the day when they issued paper license. So that's usually in one of the uh, centerpieces of my collection. Um, it's more personal. So I guess that's more of a, um, personal value versus a money value. Sure. And, and you'll find some of that with collectors, too, that, you know, the, the memories tied to it's worth more than what the uh, actual collection is, you know, the items worth.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Um, and I, I, I got some unique pieces, too. I mean, uh, one of the things that I did and still do is a uh, Form 333. Um, it's when they first issued the waterfowl stamp. They had to be on this blue postcard, and they had to be canceled by the post office. And um, I have one of those, and they're very rare. But as you see on my postings, I kind of continue that tradition. Uh, when I get my duck stamp, I've always taken to the post office, and the local post lady cancels it for me. And it's oh, just, that's cool. That's kind of like my way of paying tribute to the past. Yeah. And, um, everybody thinks I'm crazy, but I've been checked by the game wardens a few times. They're like, that's actually pretty cool. You know, <laughs> the, the postage stamp is the cancellations half on the license, half on the stamp. So it's tied to the license. But when I explain it to them, they're like, yeah, it's pretty neat. So yeah. little, little things like that. It's, uh, that, you know, I try to keep going on that, you know, mean stuff to me. Yeah, for sure. The, um, but, it, I mean, to each his own, yeah. You know, if, you, if you're going to collect anything, you know, uh, research it. You know, get books. There's a lot of collecting books out there that, you know, tell you the value of stuff, tell you the rarity of stuff. Um, and it doesn't have to be rare. It's, it's something that you like to do. I mean, I saw a guy who had a collection of old duck calls. Now, old duck calls is one of the most mass-produced duck calls ever. But he okay. had, like, almost every variety of old duck call made. Okay. And some, like, one-of-a-kind pieces. And when you put that all together, it was, like, a pretty impressive collection. Yeah. I'm like, man, that is pretty That's pretty cool. Yeah. You know, so it, it's, like, what you want. You know, you don't have to go out for all the big stuff sometimes. Some of the uh, lesser stuff, if you can afford it and you start building on it, is pretty neat as well.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, I got this problem. My, my wife does not like knickknacks or, or clutter or things like that. So I've got to be, I've got to be very careful about what kind of stuff I bring home and where I put it because, uh, uh,
1: it stresses her out, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> that, that's most wise. My wife does not like, uh, stuff around the house either. So... <laughs> Most of it's designated to one section of the house and, sure. uh, um, and then some of the nicer pieces, you know, some of the nicer decoys she'll let me put up on the uh, thing. But she's really the one driving me right now to, to sell off the lesser stuff and go okay. for, go for the, the, the quality, you know, that isn't a lot made. And that's a hard thing for me to do, you know, so yeah. Yeah, But sure. really kind of fun, too. So um you know so walking away i have a show with six calls that are two hundred dollars each or walking away with one and yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's, uh, it's it's something that you got to build up to over the years and, and then when you get there you get there you know
0: yeah so, for sure
1: you peel off the lesser pieces and try to upgrade it to nicer pieces
0: yeah all right is there anything else uh you wanted to touch on before we end it?
1: Um, not really. I mean, uh, the, for, for collecting of, of anything, I would just say that, you know, do what you feel makes you happy. You know, whether it's five pieces or 500 pieces, whether they're $20 calls or $2,000 calls, uh, do what makes you happy. You know, um, yeah. you're never going to be, i i cannot keep pace with some of the guys that i know um that have collect some really nice stuff i mean they're up to the 2500 to ten thousand dollar call range wow yeah you know? um but just do what what makes you happy you know and then maybe one day you get lucky or one day you build up to that that range too so yeah yeah And reach out, like I said earlier, you know, try to find guys that, um, will answer your questions. I, I've probably answered since I started that page, probably 40 or 50 questions from guys all over the country, you know, sent sent me pictures of the grandfather's call. You know, what do you think it's worth? And I always tell them, well, what's it worth to you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I, one of the things I try never to do when people ask me for advice is, is I don't make an offer on anything. So you ask me for advice, I'll tell you what it is. And, and, and that way you can do whatever you want with it. Um, I try not to buy anything when guys ask me for value. Sure. Um, I just, you know, I'd rather help, help them sell it or, or whatever. Um, then, you know, try to, like, oh, it's worth $50 where it's actually worth, you know, three or $400. I'll just, you know, be straight up, hey, it's a $200 call, you know. Yeah. Throw it on eBay, take it here or whatever. And then, um, but, you know, most of the time guys are, you know, kind of interested in them, more the history of it or, or, you know, where it came from. I get a lot of those, hey, who made it and where did it come from? And yeah. sometimes it takes me a week to look it up figure it out and you know i'll figure it out eventually because i'll send maybe send that picture to six other guys and um hey it came out of arkansas 1930s this is the maker you know so it, it's kind of fun on the other end to researching some of the, the items as well
0: yeah i'm sure well for the listeners if you have questions for george or you want to see his page like i said it's waterfowl history we'll put a link to that in the show notes so that everybody can Find it easily and and check out your stuff. And George, I just want to thank you for taking time to uh, jump on a call and talk to us. I appreciate it.
1: Hey, no, I appreciate. It. I really like uh, your podcast as well.
0: Awesome, thank uh, you.
1: The uh, some of the stuff local to Ohio, I, I find fascinating when you talk to the DNR and, and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah, uh, it's always kind of interesting to get their perspective of uh, what's going on in our state. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, a lot yeah, of. We really appreciate them
0: talking to us and doing those episodes with us because yeah, we get a lot out of those also.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's a great program you got there. So I appreciate it. if you need anything, let me know. Awesome, we'll
0: do. And there you have it. I want to thank George for taking time to talk to us. Really enjoyed talking to him. Really enjoyed the conversation. Go check out his Instagram page. It's Waterfowl History, all one word on Instagram. Lots of interesting photos and historical facts on there so it's worth your time to go check it out support monster whitetail grub they support us and continue to listen continue to share share it with your buddies tell everybody you know about the ohio huntsman podcast we really appreciate it we really appreciate you guys listening and and engaging with us online so just want to say thank you and uh thanks for listening